0: Page to Practice – Applying Educational Reading in the Classroom Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to the first episode of the second series of From Page to Practice. It's been nice to take a break over the summer but it's great to be back today. I'm particularly pleased to finally be bringing you this episode after it was originally scheduled for the weekend that schools closed to the majority of children and we had to adapt very quickly. I scrapped the podcast schedule and I put together episodes that I hoped would be useful at the time. So let's not delay this episode any further. It's already waited nearly six months. Here's Sarah Mullen to introduce the book.
1: Hello, my name's Sarah Mullen and I'm a deputy head teacher, a Doctor of Education student and the curator of the book we're going to be talking about today. I must admit, it's my little pride and joy, and it's called, of course, What They Didn't Teach Me on my PGCE. Now, many of you may know me from social media. I love to tweet at Mrs. Sarah Mullin, and I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn by the same name. You can also find my Facebook page by using the hashtag What They Didn't Teach Me on my PGCE. Some of you may know me from educational conferences and events where I've been presenting and I know that I've worked with lots of you through mentoring and coaching and CPD provision in your schools as well. I'm over the moon to have some of my former students listening today who are now training to become teachers themselves, some who I even taught on my own PDCE placements. Please if you're listening do reach out and connect with me, I'm incredibly passionate about the collaborative power of education. Um, I do say this a lot, but I I really feel that when teachers work together, incredible things happen. So we should all be striving for collaboration and not competition, so we can just be the best that we can be for our learners. I'm delighted and incredibly honoured to have received the Contribution to Education of the Year Award this year And recently, I was named a rising star in education and academia. Last year, I was shortlisted as a positive role model by the National Diversity Awards. And in former years, I was shortlisted as a finalist for Head Teacher of the Year and Teacher of the Year as well. As a woman and mother of three young children, this is something that really does mean such a lot to me. As you all know, I work really hard and I am very passionate about helping others. So it's so lovely to have that recognised. Can I just take this opportunity to say a very sincere, heartfelt thank you to absolutely all of you for your continued support, positivity and your encouragement. Anytime I log on to Twitter and I see all your lovely comments, it does put the biggest smile on my face. It's people like you who motivate me and inspire me in all that I do including putting together this little best-selling collection of narratives from educators all around the world. I'm really passionate about the transformational part of education. And I've written four educational books before and journals. But I first had the idea for this book many, many years ago when I was coaching and mentoring some NQTs. I've often been told to jot down my advice and my tips Um, to write my own book but just to be honest with work and academic study and raising family I just didn't have the time and so on my last maternity leave back in 2018 I had a book deal in place an idea in mind and nine months ahead of me where I just thought I'm going to put metaphorical pen to paper and begin jotting down some tips for future teachers. As an MQT mentor myself over the years I've noticed that a lot of teachers entering the profession were rightly encouraged to read a range of excellent academic journals and textbooks as well. But what I felt was missing in the market was a book written by teachers for teachers in a really down-to-earth, non-threatening style. It's almost like a hug in a book and it's written by teachers and educators and educational psychologists and educational consultants. There's a range of specialists in the book who've gathered together really to pass on their best advice to you all the things that we wish we would have known back when we were training because we know our PGCE and all the other training routes into education are fantastic but they only last for about a year and there's no way in a year you can become the finished article I'll tell you now that I've been teaching for about 16, 17 years and even now I'm still growing and learning and developing to become the educator I aspire to be. And that's what I see in the best educators as well. Always hungry to learn more and grow more and develop more because that's what our little children and our students deserve. They deserve to have the very best teachers. So that's where the book came out for. That was my mission. I wanted to set out to produce a book that I wish had existed back when I was trained to become a teacher in the days before social media and before chat rooms and before um, online newspapers and things like that. So I launched a call for submissions on Twitter one Sunday afternoon after a Brued Sully Hall event. And I asked if anybody was interested in the book and would they like to share their ideas little did i know that overnight the tweet would gather so much interest i had over 80,000 impressions on that tweet through retweets comments likes and dms as well and in the end i collected over 200 narratives from a range of educators across the world who really do offer their heartfelt honest advice wisdom their genuine reflections and experiences and lots of side-spittingly funny stories um, for aspiring students and early career teachers. That's, that's kind of where it aimed to be. But the truth is that the book it's relevant to all of us, no matter what stage of our career we're at. Our mission was very clear. We wanted to support you and inspire you and even amuse you as well to show that, yes, we may have enjoyed career success now... But that doesn't mean that along the journey we didn't find the same challenges that you may find in your early careers. I'm genuinely over the moon that the book has gone on to become a number one bestseller. It's stocked at university libraries across the country and it's even featured on the reading list for many initial teacher education courses this year. Um, Every single educator that's written for the book has had lots of opportunities come their way such as being on this podcast they may have been in interviews or presented at conferences themselves some have even gone on to write their own best-selling books as well so I have to say this project has been a success for absolutely all of us and the best thing as well for every single person that's written for that book is how the ripple effect it's had so we are helping early career teachers to develop and grow who then go on to help the learners, and that's who we really do the job for. The feedback I've received has been phenomenal, and I'd just like to, again, say a heartfelt thank you to every single person who's left me a review or posted a picture of themselves with their book or recommended the book to another teacher. Kind words mean ever such a lot to me. They really, really do, and they're just giving that boost to go on and do more things which I just hope spreads a little bit of positivity and helps early career teachers in their in their profession. Um, during lockdown, I set up Edu Teacher Tips, which is a free YouTube channel for teachers by teachers, where everyone shares a two minute tip with one another. You are all very welcome to contribute to that as well and share your own good advice to so pass on the sparkle and the magic as well. Um, I've also just this week actually released What They Didn't Teach Me in Teaching College, which is a the adaptation of the book for our readers in Ireland. There's also a, a bonus chapter as well about what they didn't teach me about educating during a global pandemic. And there's a brilliant new forward in there as well from the inspirational educator, Mary Myatt. My next book is another collection of funny stories, real stories, Cringeworthy stories as well, and it's called Chronicles from the Classroom. Um, it's about the little wins and wonders and woes of being a teacher. That hopefully should be released just in time for Christmas and pop it on your Christmas list. Thank you ever so much, Bex, for having me today. Thank you for giving us this time to talk about the book. Thank you to everybody who's taken the time to contribute their idea to the podcast. podcast sorry. I am very grateful. I really am, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Enjoy it, and thank you once again. Bye-bye.
0: You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Now we've heard from Sarah, let's hear from some of the people that have contributed to the book. The first of
2: these is Andrea William-Jones. My name is Andrea William-Jones. I'm assistant head teacher at Winterbourne Academy in North Bristol, And my contribution to what they didn't teach me on my PGCE is on page 105 and it encourages new entrants to the profession to ask and never stop asking. The inspiration for this chapter came because when I was an NQT, I don't believe we were even called NQTs, but there was no one to ask and we were expected to hit the ground running and judged. And there are so many things that you need to know to be able to hit the ground running, even where to park your bike, where you can shower when you get to school, who to ask to sort out your passwords, who to ask to sort out your timetable. The people in the support part of the school who are more important than the staff who help you, but if you don't ask who they are, you don't know them and you don't know how to find them. Teachers are essentially people per, people, persons, as I go on to say, and they will help you, they'll only be too pleased to help you. But often, you're in a new town, in a new school, in a new role, with a bigger timetable than you had when you were training, and it's a lot to take in at once. I'm a firm advocate of starting NQTs in July, but that's not always possible, and therefore, I say to everybody a million times over, just ask, because everybody will only be too pleased to help.
0: You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Taking a look at Andrew's contribution in the book, I noticed that she mentions being a fellow of the Chartered College of Teaching, which I discuss on the very next page of the book. This is perhaps unsurprising to those of you that are regular listeners and know about my involvement with the college as a council member the impact episodes of this podcast, and my participation in and mentoring on the Chartered Teacher Programme. This leads appropriately onto
3: our next contribution from Sandra Clinton. I'm Sandra Clinton, Head of Chemistry and Physics at Brighton Hove and Sixth Form College. My contribution to the book was about becoming a chartered teacher. I love the idea of teachers sharing advice, as I feel we should embrace everything we can to help us get good at teaching as quickly as possible. I was fortunate to work with two wonderful and contrasting heads of department before I became one myself, but I know that not everyone is so lucky. I completed the Chartered Teacher Program as part of the pilot cohort in 2018-19 and thoroughly enjoyed every minute. It's a robust year of professional development and reflection that I think all teachers should be encouraged to complete. The course was intense, flexible and engaging, and enables teachers to reflect honestly on their practice and to select specific areas for improvement. Assessment is through a mixture of online activities and includes a reflective journal which you complete at the end of each phase. Participants are supported by a mentor and at the start of each phase you have input from experts in various aspects of education. The combination of flexibility to meet your needs and core course content makes it relevant to teachers at all points in their career and from all sorts of institutions. I've taught since 1996 when overhead projectors were new technology and I now manage a big chemistry and physics team in a leading sixth form college. Working in education is dynamic, fast-paced and varied. Above all, it's very rewarding and just great fun. The book gives you a real flavour of why we all do the job and I hope my contribution encourages readers to find out more about the college and the chartered teacher programme.
0: You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. The next contributor that we are going to hear from is Andy Lewis.
4: My name is Andy Lewis and I'm a Deputy teacher at a school called St Bonaventure's in East London. In my chapter I wrote about the use of social media. Not so much about the way in which many teachers now use social media to connect professionally, Twitter and certain Facebook groups to share resources and engage in professional discussion, but more thinking about our social media profiles that exist um, that include maybe aspects of our personal life. Quite often, um, it can be difficult to see the boundaries. It can be blurred quite quickly um, when we're trying to work out the difference between friends and colleagues and working out who we should be friends with on Facebook, who should we follow um, on Twitter. I think one of the things it's just really important for, for people new to the profession is to consider about the impression that they want to give, about the things that they're happy to share, um, because judgments will be made. And the last thing that you want early on in your career is for things that maybe shouldn't be shared within school, with colleagues, with students, um, to become um, completely public. It's really good to keep some aspects of your private life exactly that. So hopefully my advice has been useful to you as you embark on the fantastic career that is teaching. Best of luck. Bye-bye.
0: You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag
5: pagepracticepodcast.
0: Next, we hear from Deborah
5: Kemp. Hi. I wrote the chapter on student voice in Sarah Mullin's book because I wanted to share just a few of my insights on leading and embedding student voice in schools. For me, student voice needs to be more than tokenistic and definitely not a vehicle to rubber stamp decisions, but a genuine curiosity to hear what a whole range of students think. And in particular, to use it as a method to triangulate and check our self-evaluation in schools, check that our policies are working and be really honest when we don't hear what we want to hear and just dig a little deeper. The other key message in my chapter was to ensure that topics students are asked to discuss and give feedback on are based around the core purpose of school, that's teaching and learning, behaviour and pastoral policy, and not the peripheral discussions, which does sometimes happen on canteen and in uniform. Finally, um, it was critical, I felt, to share the important message that feedback Um, to students about uh, the response to their discussions um, is dealt with openly and the rationale for decisions arising from discussions is really important to be shared with students. Um, And, you know, if we're not going to act upon a particular suggestion from a student group that we give really clear reasons why it's not in the best interests of the whole school population. Um, My piece, I hope, was a tiny insight into... Work um, that I've done on student voice over several years, working with some great partnerships in Erasmus plus, UNICEF a great ally for student voice work and sh- looking at really good work in schools, best practice in schools, and seeing firsthand um, the achievements of young people in my own schools working effectively uh, in student voice. Um, when student voice is really embedded it has the most impact. Um, teaching students how and when to articulate their thoughts can really empower them um, and give them that language they need to articulate and a really good understanding of democracy and how it works and you know how it's not really a quick process but it's important Um, and this really helps this work I, I passionately believe really helps build a cohesive and healthy school community and encourages our school community and individual students to really be able to be part of their school community and be able to express a point of view. We all know how it feels when we don't have a, a voice in the workplace or in our communities and even in our families. So it's really important, I believe, that we build those skills in our students in schools. So I hope that my chapter gives you a little bit of an insight into how we can broaden our view of student voice in schools. And I'm always happy to discuss, you know, the successes and some of the pitfalls in developing student voice if anyone wants to um, get in touch in the future. Um, I'm on Twitter, so, you know, do ask any questions. Thank you.
0: You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. And next, we hear from Elizabeth Hutchinson about the power of the
6: school library. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Hutchinson, an independent trainer and advisor for school libraries with over 16 years' worth of experience of working in and around school libraries. As vice chair of the Great School Libraries campaign, it was important for me to take part in uh, this book, what they didn't teach me on my PGCE, to raise awareness within the teaching community of the powerful um, input that a good school library can make to their teaching and learning. I I felt particularly it was important that um, new teachers are told about school libraries because many don't even expect to have a school library. And if my page contribution just makes new teachers uh, go and find their school librarian when they head to a new school or begin to ask the question why they haven't got a school library, then I think it's a, re- a really important thing for, for me to have been able to uh, do as being part of this book. Uh, the opportunity to share about school libraries um, in this book was really important to me and I was delighted to be able to take part. You're
0: listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast.
7: Next up is
0: Gillian Judson.
7: Hi there, my name's Gillian Judson and I'm um, part of the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, Canada. And it was such an honour to be able to be part of this great book, What They Didn't Teach Me in My Pre-Service Education. In my section, I really wanted to draw attention to the fact that we leave imagination out of pre-service education. And it is a monstrous shame. They didn't teach me in my pre-service education that without imagination, um, we don't learn. And I'm not talking about butterfly wings and fantasy. I'm talking about that core human capacity to envision the possible. If we don't think about what is emotionally and imaginatively engaging for our students when we think about how and what we're teaching them, then we're not gonna make the knowledge meaningful or memorable. So a lot of my work at the Center for Imagination in Research, Culture, and Education at SFU is around how we can engage the imagination in all learning contexts, whether it's mathematics, sciences, or the arts, to make meaning in education. Um, so my hope is that anyone reading this will begin to think a little bit more seriously about imagination. Far too often it's on the sidelines, it's considered a hook or an option, when in fact it is one of the main workhorses of learning. Thanks for listening. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the
0: conversation on Twitter using hashtag page practice podcast. Coming to the end of our author contributions is our penultimate from Philip McCahill.
8: I'm Philip McCahill and my contribution to the book was What They Didn't Teach Me About Safeguarding. When I heard about the project, What They Didn't Teach Me, on my PGCE last year, I initially just reached out to Sarah because I thought it sounded like such a fantastic guide for early career teachers coming into the profession and I wanted to offer my support in any way I could. So I was really flattered when Sarah came back to me and actually asked me to contribute a chapter on safeguarding based on my experience so far as a new teacher and uh, as a safeguarding governor in a primary school. I really approached writing the chapter from the perspective of creating a really practical guide that teachers could pick up and go with. I think safeguarding is talked about a lot during initial teacher education, but more from the perspective of your responsibilities within the law, which of course are important, but in terms of getting to grips with safeguarding and embedding it within your practice, I think can be quite an overwhelming topic for new teachers to think about. And so I wanted to create six top tips for really getting to know safeguarding and how it works in your setting and being able to make sure that you're doing the very best that you can within safeguarding for your pupils, which, of course, is what all teachers set out to do. I hope that the chapter forms a really positive basis for teachers who are thinking about their safeguarding practice as they enter the profession, Um, and it was a privilege to be part of a project as fantastic as this book.
0: You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Finally,
9: before we hear from some of the readers, we'll hear from Theo Griff. Hello, I'm Theo Griff, and I'm going to talk briefly about my contributions to the book by Sarah Mullen, What They Didn't Teach Me on My PGCE. One of my contributions is about official letters that you may have to write sometime during your career and I've given you some examples of what you should be writing in these circumstances. The other contribution is getting the job in the first place. I talk about applications for a teaching job and about interviews for a teaching job, setting out what you should and above all what you shouldn't be doing. I've had 20 odd years of experience on selection committees, looking at applications, interviewing candidates, and I know all the pitfalls that you can fall in. I'm really hoping that reading my notes here will give you the very best start possible to getting into teaching, to moving up into teaching, to ending up as a head teacher even. It's the best job in the world. I hope you love it as much as I do. You're listening to
0: From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. So now for arguably the most important part of any episode of From Page to Practice. No offence, of course, to all the authors. Hearing from readers of the book about how their reading has had an impact on their practice... First, we're going to hear from Megan Brown, who is returning to the podcast, having contributed to the Women Ed episode in the last series. Megan only starts her initial teacher training this month.
10: Hello, my name is Megan Brown and I have just completed my final year studying history at the University of York. If all goes to plan and I graduate, I will start a school direct teacher training programme in Cheltenham, alongside a PGCE from the University of Bristol in September. I'm really excited to share my reflections on what they didn't teach me on my PGC and Other Routes into Teaching, edited by Sarah Mullen. I genuinely believe this is a must-read for anyone starting out in their teaching career. I ordered the book after doing the classic search on Amazon, Good Books to Read, before starting your teacher training. I have been trying to use lockdown as an opportunity to start my preparation for September a lot earlier. This book has been really instrumental in directing me to extra reading and encouraging me to connect with others on Twitter, as well as taking part in online opportunities such as conferences and webinars. It has shown me it is never too early to start engaging with educational research. Each contributor provides a different insight into the profession, ranging from teaching and learning, well-being, employment and leadership. The structure of the book allows you to dip in and out as you wish from one chapter to another, making it accessible for those who do not necessarily have as much time, I actually read this in four days whilst I was uh, doing, finishing a dissertation, writing a 4,000 word essay, and revising for an exam. and I used it as a really good way to switch off in the evenings and was able to just literally get straight through it. Overall, the book really taught me that your PGC provides you with a framework which you need to keep developing during your NQT year and beyond. It does not discredit teacher training but shows it acts as a springboard into further professional development. This book included great tips for lesson planning. The really short, concise contributions made this easy to understand for someone who has not yet completed any formal teacher training. The most kind of instrumental or the most important section for this for me was what they didn't teach me about teaching and learning. I'm starting a School Direct programme and I had to deliver a short lesson at my interview and therefore I'll be expected to deliver lessons relatively early on in my training and this section re- provided me with some basic knowledge and guidance to ensure that when I do come to plan my lessons, they have a clear structure and a purpose. Sarah Mullen provides a great summary of Tom Sherrington's application of the Rosenstein Principles, giving me a really clear understanding of these and how I can apply them in my own practice. And this actually made me order Tom's book, uh, continue to enhance my understanding of how educational research can be practically applied in the classroom. The second section by Dr. James Bullis, Explanations and Modelling, really showed the importance of breaking down challenging concepts and ideas. And this made me reflect on my own transition from GCSE A-level to now finishing my degree. And actually, how as a historian, I have progressed. And I think it made me realise that actually sometimes we can lose sight of our own progression. And it's really important to remember that when we teach these concepts and ideas for the first time, our students have never tackled these questions before. Um, I mean, in a year seven context, you know, we took to somebody who studied history for five six seven years now i to me you know not understanding what an essay is might seem ridiculous but actually it's really really made me think actually that's not ridiculous and for year seven students who are coming out of the primary curriculum you know i have a role to play in breaking that idea down showing them what a really good essay looks like giving them the knowledge that they need and actually making them feel really confident in being able to write a really good essay and this can be applied you know At GCSE and A-level, where students are then expected to show a higher level of thinking, you know, my role is to provide them with the knowledge and the the structures that they need to produce really good essay questions. They're not just going to be able to just do it themselves. Um, There are many layers to this. And yeah, this chapter really gave me some good tips. And the idea of chunking I found really interesting. And then finally, in this section, The Power of Silence by Dr Janet Goodall, I just loved. It really challenged my perception of the teacher's role and made me reflect on how I should conduct myself in the classroom. Anybody who knows me well will know that I do talk quite a lot <laughs> and sometimes far too much and it showed me the power of giving students the time to think and how valuable this can be. And for someone who's entering history teaching, thinking about how students will look at a source or a piece of historical literature and actually giving students the time to think about this and just having two or three minutes of silence might actually encourage those students who perhaps don't always feel as confident to give a kind of off the cuff answer to actually think about an answer, have the confidence to be able to then deliver it. And this then really enhances the debate or the discussion that we're having, which then, you know, develops their understanding of the wider studying and the the, the, the inquiry question or the curriculum that we're doing. Um And I felt like it was a really great enabler. And then the section why they didn't teach him about the funny times, which was a a section based on anecdotes from teachers, was just brilliant. Um, Not only were they really funny, but they actually delivered a really important message. That as teachers, we can plan and plan for hours, but you can never actually fully control what happens in your classroom. And you have to ride the wave as it comes and definitely laugh about it afterwards. And actually, I did tweet whilst I was reading this that I had already managed to faint, although not on a student, as the book describes, during school placement, and that maybe living in York for three years has actually prepared me for any unexpected duck incidents um, or any unexpected ducks that might come into my classroom. Um, So I found that section really, just really heartwarming and really funny. Finally, so why should somebody read this book? I actually sat down to think about this question and started flicking through the sections and I found Kate Aveling's which was what they didn't teach me about trusting the process. And I hadn't really reflected or thought about this chapter perhaps as much as I should have done when I read it initially. And actually, when I went back to it, I thought, oh, my goodness, this really summarises the entire book almost. I've always wanted to be a teacher. And actually, that brings with it a certain amount of pressure due to the fear of being told that actually your lesson wasn't perfect or you need to rethink or that the career that you've thought that you're going to do for the rest of your life and be really good at actually, you're not doing as well as you thought you were, or, you know, you've got a lot to learn. And it might sound obvious, but actually we always expect the best from ourselves. And I perhaps wrongly expect that I, in September, when I deliver my first lesson, that it will be a good lesson, that the students will learn something and that it will have all the qualities of a good lesson. And I I think this is completely unrealistic, that actually probably I will look back and think it is one of the worst lessons I've ever delivered. And this book made me pause and think, actually... I really need to trust the teacher training process. You know, it's a marathon, not sprint, and to always remember why I decided to enter the profession in the first place. And I'm at the start of my journey, not the end. And actually, I will be using that phrase and keeping that phrase with me whenever I'm sat there struggling to piece together a lesson or questioning my subject knowledge or just feeling a bit overwhelmed by the amount of work or, you know, listening or reading some constructive criticism that somebody has given me. And that phrase is going to stick with me and hopefully um, keep me going during my my teacher training year. So, above all, this book is a fantastic insight into the world of teaching and has just made me really excited to enter the profession.
0: You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. It's nice to hear how Megan's reading has already got her thinking about some key issues – particularly her expectations of the journey ahead of her. Next, we hear from Judith Hunt. I
11: read what they didn't teach me on my PGC from cover to cover last month, not because I'm an NQT, not because I've just done my PGC, but because I'd read so many good things about it on Twitter and I was really intrigued. And I think in the context of school closures, lockdown, etc., it struck me as a really useful resource as somebody that's involved in the... um, CPD program at school as a way of helping next year's NQTs and RQTs as well as PGC students and I'm so glad that I read it I absolutely loved it what I really liked about it was the fact that you suddenly are reminded that there's so much knowledge within the profession that we there's just a wealth of expertise that's there that can be tapped into to help our early career teachers and it's there and it's in the schools and it's accessible the way I see myself using this book in school is very much as a book prescription. So I can imagine, you know, working with PGC students, NQTs, RQTs and going, right, so this is something you're having difficulty with. Why don't you go and read this chapter? Because I think it strikes me that what might be missing from their experiences having had their placements last year curtailed is perhaps that anecdotal stuff that you get from just being in school. And I think this is what this book really kind of plugs that gap. It's real teachers. It's real people that are in school They in day out talking offering those nuggets of wisdom that they probably would have picked up had their placements continued so I think it'll be really really fabulous from an experience point of view as well I really like the fact that even though I've been teaching I think 14 years now um I was still able to glean from it it reminded me of all the kind of good practice that I'm doing and reassured me that I actually am still doing things like I should be doing it there were so many golden nuggets, but the one that stood out for me was Ruth Hancock, where she talks about the weather and her comment about how MFL teachers don't have any of the issues with the weather teaching or weather craziness because, of course, you just turn it to a lesson. And as a languages teacher, I can confirm that is absolutely true. It made me chuckle an awful lot. It was fabulous.
0: You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Our penultimate reader contributor for today is Jessica Moody.
12: My name's Jessica Moody. I'm Head of Science and I've been qualified since 2013. I'm just doing a quick book review for what they didn't teach me on my PGCE, which was curated by Sarah Mullin. Um, I... I found the book really, really good actually, Um, it was a good reminder of what it's like to be a trainee um, and an NQT and all the small things that when you're training seem huge at the time and they do become automatic um, but it helped open my eyes and remind me that it wasn't automatic at the beginning. Um, It was a good way to remind me of different strategies and things that I use to manage my workload, manage my work-life balance um, and ensure that that I've written down here working smarter not harder and that's really key when you're teaching. Um, It's very easy to work really really hard and not always achieve a lot Um, whereas if you focus your energy into activities that you know will have an impact on people progress that's where your energy should be focused um i think it would be a good book for anyone to read but really useful if during or after your pgc QT year is it's really good as a reflection tool but you could then if you read it at the end of your PGC, B, pgc or training that you complete you could then use it and dip it and out and be like oh yeah there's a but about that in the book because um It's split up into chapters that you can just dip in and out of. Uh, And there's a few people that have used really good references as well and I've actually been and read some of the references um, that they have used. Um, I think that... experienced teachers it's a bit of a must read because we get so caught up in what we do on a daily basis that we forget how difficult the first few years are when you're honing your skills as a teacher learning the the new structure to your life um with regards to making sure you get all your work done and trying having a break in the holidays um and it's a good way to remind yourself what it's like ready to be a mentor as well because I think when you're teaching you often don't realize the things that you're doing and a trainee will look at you and think I've got no idea how I can get to that point but if you've read the book recently then you can remind yourself like oh hang on I didn't used to know that that's something I've learned and I need to teach them the trainee that is it, um, and then I would just say um, don't worry about like if, if you're a trainee thinking you're thinking of teaching don't worry about starting your journey into teaching it is really really difficult but it's the most rewarding and most challenging and the best job in the world um and this book will help guide you through that training and nqt year but it will see you through longer than that because it's got so, so
0: many tips and tricks and ideas that you probably never considered before you're listening to from page to practice Join the conversation on Twitter using
13: hashtag page podcast.
0: And today's final reader contribution is Holly Baradell.
13: My name's Holly Baradell, and I'm really privileged to contribute to this episode of From Page to Practice, discussing what I'm taking away from reading Sarah Mullen's book, What They Didn't Teach Me on My PGCE. So, initially, when you start and you pick this book up and you start to read it, um, you start thinking it's It's only there to help you prepare for a PGCE. Um, But it's actually for all stages of teaching. And I'm 12 years qualified. Um, And when I read the chapter on getting a job by Theodore Griffiths, um, it really it it started to dawn on me that actually, (laughs) unless you're going to qualify and stay put your entire career in the same school and you don't even take internal promotion, then you know, so you're never going to need to have an interview you know, that's very, very (laughs) unlikely to have happened. So you really need this chapter to support those events that happen throughout your life. Um, the book is also really useful to have as you change as a person. Six years ago, I wouldn't have needed or have felt the need to read the chapter about being a parent teacher from the MTPT founder, Emma Shepherd, And I read it now and it really resonates with me. So it's the kind of reference book that you would want to have on the side that you could p- pull off and just go back and look at certain chapters as they become relevant in your life. I'm going to be looking in a moment, see if there's a chapter on what to do when you're of pensionable age as a teacher. <laughs> um, and finally, the chapter from Helen Abbott about well-being of yourself and um, of others it is something you need to take on board in any profession at any stage in your career Um to truly, you know, get on in where you work, you need all the facets of the organisation to come together. And we all offer different skills and interests. And, and that, you know, that's a reflection of society. And if you become too hierarchical, it, it can be detrimental. Um, and she, Helen Abbott, really explains that in very uh, simple, easy terms, but it's very accurate and poignant when you read that through. So in summary, it's a great, easy, relatable book to read that really forces you to reflect and consider you as a person, as well as as a teacher. You're listening
0: to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag page practice podcast. My hope is that this episode has given a glimpse into the fantastic book. We've really only scratched the surface here. So whatever stage of your teaching career you're at, if you've not got a copy, then grab one as a reminder, as support or as a gift for a future teacher. The next episode of From Page to Practice is on the second Michaela book, The Power of Culture. Hopefully we'll hear from a few of the chapter authors and as usual, I'm still looking for readers to share their reflections on the book and how they're applying their reading to their practice. Please let me know if you'd like to take part, as you know this podcast simply would not exist without the reader reflections. A final note, following some feedback I have added the details of the episode to the show notes to help you pick the episodes that you want to listen to at certain times. Any other constructive feedback is always welcome. I've also added a link in the notes in case you fancy supporting the podcast. Books and hosting don't come that cheaply. There's no pressure though. What's more important to me is that you keep subscribing, downloading, listening, sharing and where possible, popping a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk. Forward slash page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of incomitech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are
1: licensed under Creative Commons.